first service, I uh, thanked the uh, worship team for all they've done except that last song. That last song was kind of meddling, don't you think? Hi-yi-yi. <laughs> like uh, there was, I was just, let me not be blind with privilege. Hi-yi-yi-yi-yi. So I, I didn't sing it. <laughs> Maybe you guys did. Yeah, I was just like, oh man, that's a good song though. But yeah, that's, uh, sometimes we sing stuff and we all of a sudden pay attention later. That's one of those songs. It's one of those songs. In fact, uh, I just want you to know how inclusive we are. There's a guy over here wearing a, a Calgary Flames <laughs> shirt. That shows how inclusive we are. <laughs> we let anybody in here, you know? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you guys, what would a Sunday be if I didn't talk about fishing? And uh, today I was, uh, I was thinking about fishing. You all know that I go fishing uh, quite a bit, but I go catching at least once a year. There's a difference. And uh, we go to uh, Cougar Creek, which is a Nootka Sound, which is just off of, you go, you know, Nanaimo, Campbell River, Gold River, keep going. Like, it's way out there. And uh, so we, put, we get out there, put our downriggers, and we're always hoping for the best. But we have to work hard at it. We have to be patient. We've got to pay attention. And every year there are stories that come my way that are just like, this is amazing. Just so cool. Incredible place to be. And I want to talk to you a little bit about tug-of-wars that we've had there. In fact, it was just a couple years ago that I go with uh, my kiddos and also Norm, my father-in-law. 18-foot boat, and half the time his boat doesn't work. So we're off, often on 9.9 horse. It's the worst. There's times, I will, I'll deny this, but there's times where his boat only planed, you know what I mean, by planing, it, it bogs until you get up to speed, and then she goes fast. For us to actually go fast, I had to put my butt in the front of the boat, like way on the front of the boat, you know, kind of like that, what's that movie, Titanic? You know, that's what I had to do in order for us to kind of go like this. <laughs> Brutal. But anyway, this last couple of years, his, his, only his 9.9 works. So we have to work with that. And everywhere we go, we go nice and slow. At uh, one point, we were just off of, I think it was Beer Can Bay, right around there. And we put down the downriggers and we're trying to catch some fish. And some years are slim pickings. And this year in particular, all of a sudden he got, uh, fish on, you know. And Norm likes to talk. When I fish, I like quiet. Like, I'm working the line, I'm keeping my tip up, and I just want silence. He says, what's going on? What's, go- what's going on? Yeah. You got to communicate. Tell me what's going on. <laughs> I'll tell you what's going on. <laughs> Shut up, you know? <laughs> so anyway, he got in, and his, uh, his line is taut, and his, his uh, um, rod is totally bent over, and nothing's happening. It's just totally bent. He has to hold his tip up, but he can't reel in nothing. So we obviously think that we've gotten into Halley, halibut. And that's going to be a job and a half because halibut, they're like bringing up a plank. Like they're just unbelievable because they don't want to come in and they're big, right? They're just like a slab. So he's going like this and he has no idea what's going on. He's working it, working it. And obviously talking like crazy to me. And I'm just like, Shh, pay attention to what you're doing, you know? So he keeps doing this, keeps doing this. And all of a sudden, oh, and finally he lets go and he's able to reel it in. So he brings it to the boat, and sure enough, it's about a 20, 23-pound salmon. We get it in the boat, and then figure out that there's huge teeth marks, and he was having a tug-of-war with a seal. And finally, we won, because usually you don't win, you know? 
So we've had tug of wars galore there. In fact, there's been times where we've been fighting with the mackerel. There was this one really warm summer where the mackerel came in from, I think, South America or something like that. And uh, there was, it was just full of these greasy mackerels that would, as soon as we put our uh, anchovy in the water, boom, it would grab our stuff. And it was costing us lots of money and patience and stuff like that. Because every time you'd put it down, it would be gone. You'd bring it back up, put the bait in again, try and try and try. Other times, there's one time we, uh, you put out your line about, you know, 20 strokes, and then it's uh, your anchovy just floating on the water, and then you put your downrigger down, but then the seagull, wah, wah, you know, get it, get away from here, you know, that doesn't help much, but nonetheless, it comes down and it grabs our hook, now we have a tug of war with the seagull, kid you not, there's times where we've had dogfish too, uh, Kai came with us one time, my oldest son, and he put about four or five hooks on a, on a string, he put it down off the dock, and he brought up about four or five dogfish. So those are those little uh, things that look like sharks. Uh, they're just, but they're just little guys. So over and over and over again, we've had tug of wars and we've had stories. We've lost money. We've lost rigs. We've had all sorts of interesting things going out there. We've even had a fire on board. Just don't tell my wife about that one. Because she lets me take the kids thus far. We've all, all this stuff, but the fact is, even though we've lost a ton of fish, we've lost money and all sorts of stories and time and all that, you still go fishing. Matter if you, you mess up or you drop a couple, you still go fishing. And I think we're going to be looking at a portion of scripture where God's actually calling us to be fishers of men. So fishers of people. So he's coming, he's given us this fantastic good news that we can actually have a connection with the most high God. He's the one that created us and now he's the one that wants to connect with us so that we actually understand our purpose and understand we have forgiveness of sins. And He's the one that sends us out and sometimes you kind of mess up or you say something stupid or something doesn't go right and sometimes we just want to put our fishing rod away. But he wants us to go, no, I mean, things don't go so well, whatever, but keep going out there because you got the good news of Jesus Christ and people need to hear it. So we're going to be jumping into Luke chapter 9. If you're new to us, we've been in Luke forever. We're in only chapter 9 now, and I think, I don't even know how many, there's 24 chapters, I think, in Luke, so we're going to be here, come back next year. <laughs> we're still going to be here for a while. So Luke chapter 9 is kind of neat, because it almost sounds like the Great Commission, and the Great Commission, what that means is pretty much Jesus saying, he says, go in my power and preach the gospel, making disciples. So at no point is he saying, go and make Christians, he actually says, make disciples. So he doesn't want just mamsy pamsy, uh, oh, I think I know Jesus. No, he says, if, if you're in, you're in. Like, go for it. And now learn and lean into Jesus so that you can also become a disciple maker. And there's a big difference there. My own conviction is that the world has tasted and seen a lot of Christians that don't act at all like Christ. And I think a lot of people are hurt. And a lot of people out there have tasted Christianity and walked away because we've been poor examples. Commercial break, though. We're all poor examples at some point, right? We all screw up. We all fail and fall and all stuff. But the big deal is that we lean into Christ again and say, Lord, help me get back up. I want to live this for you. So Luke chapter 9. Join with me. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says this. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, 
no bread, no money. Don't even take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news of Christ and healing people everywhere. Now Herod, now Herod's the political figure here, Herod the Tetrarch, he heard about all that was going on and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah had appeared, he's a guy from the Old Testament, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John, I killed him. Who then is this that I hear so many things about? And he tried to see him. So it's cool, it's setting the stage, you guys, because there's people here that actually want to see and are very curious about Jesus. There's people here that will hear him and reject him. There's people here that will hear him and want to gobble him up. And then there's people here, like Herod, that, oh, I'd love to see Jesus and kill him. Because Herod was full of himself. Like it was all about him and his kingdom. He was a jealous man. So in, in, in verse 10, it goes on. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what had been done, or what they'd done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Now, here comes that fantastic Sunday school story that you all heard about as kids. I love this one. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, How about you send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. And he replied, you give them something to eat. Remember, they just went out with nothing, right? They weren't supposed to take anything and they went around preaching the gospel and doing miracles and all that stuff. So they have nothing. Now they come here to this meeting to kind of debrief with Jesus. And he says, why don't you guys feed him? Newsflash, they don't have anything to feed him with, right? They answered, well, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and, and, and buy food for all this crowd. And we're talking about 5,000 men. So if there's 5,000 men, that probably means there's almost just as many ladies and children. So there's a ton of people here. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so. And everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to all the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Great story, huh? What happens sometimes is we kind of concentrate on maybe the wrong part of the story. Because you're all, your stomachs are grumbling right now. I wouldn't mind a piece of fish or a piece of bread right now. And we look at what? The 5,000? But I think this is part of the big story of what's going on here. And we shouldn't just necessarily be sidetracked. Because Jesus doesn't want you to just look at, wow, look at all this food. Look at all the things that could happen. It's more along the lines of what Luke has been saying the whole time. He actually wants you to see Jesus. Luke is a smart guy. He's a writer. He's done a lot of work. In fact, uh, um, he's been known to be very particular. So he's been watching people live for Christ. He's heard the accounts. And he is now taking dictation pretty much because he is actually presenting his work to a guy named Theophilus who does not yet know Jesus. 
So he's not being uh, uncareful or dismissive. He's actually really weighing and thinking about things here. And does he want Theophilus just to know, hey, cool story, Jesus is going to feed you? Or is it just like, wait a second, we have seen last week that Jesus has power over creation. He has power over the spiritual, over demons. He has power over death. And here we're going to see once again that he even has power over nature again. So he doesn't want us to get sidetracked with a piece of bread or with demons or this or that. He wants us to get sidetracked with Jesus Christ. It's kind of like that verse in Psalms. I love that verse. It says, I lift up my eyes into the mountains. From where does my help come from? Do we stop there? No, because our help doesn't come from the mountains. The verse goes on to say, the maker of those mountains. So you look past the mountain, you lift up your eyes, but you don't just look at the creation, the mountain. You look at, whoa, the real power is the maker of that mountain. And that's also what Luke is after here, is that we see past all the cool stuff, but we see who is behind all of this that's happening. We see Jesus' incredible authority over nature, demons, sickness, death, and now he shares his authority and he commissions his disciples to go. It's incredible stuff. So our text records the first instance here, it seems, that this is the first time that he actually sends them out. So this is incredible discipleship. We've been talking about discipleship for many months now. And part of discipleship here is Jesus has been hanging out with these 12 guys for a long time. They've been watching him. He does cool stuff. He actually does a lot of teaching, a lot of preaching, uh, prayer times, quiet times, whatever it might be. And you got these 12 students that are watching. And now finally they've gotten to a point that they've seen these miracles, they've seen this power, they've seen the teaching, they've heard it all. And now he finally commissions them and says, now you guys, you go. Incredible. It's an incredible principle of discipleship or mentoring. Mentoring is that you first watch, you're a part of, and then you maybe do part of it, and you get a little oversight. And finally, when your mentor or when the journeyman sees that you've done a good job, he says, okay, now it's time for you to go off and do this by yourselves and tell all the good things that have happened. Now, here's an important thing to remember, though, is this portion of Scripture is descriptive and not prescriptive, if that makes any sense to you. Because sometimes scripture describes the scene. It doesn't necessarily prescribe. Because some people will go and they'll find this verse that's like, ah, and then they do something crazy. And it's just like, no, 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 no. Pay attention to context. And what is he saying here? So here he's saying, don't take anything. Don't take anything and just walk out. Don't even take an extra shirt. And we are leaning on the hospitality of the people that you go into town with. Don't take anything with you. And this is how you do it. But we're going to see in just a moment that this is just for this time, and there's other times where he just says, now take some cash with you, make sure you go stay over here, do this. So don't grab scripture and just use it haphazardly to make it say what you're thinking. You've got to pay attention to what's going on here. So we would be mistaken if we look at these as normative, because later on we see in Luke chapter 22, this is what he says. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, no, we didn't lack anything. He said, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. So it's interesting within the same book, book of Luke, 
At first he says, don't take anything. And the next time he says, take stuff and go. So we see that this isn't a prescriptive passage the way we're always supposed to do things. But it's important that we also see some of the main themes that we can get out of maybe even both of these passages. One of them is, I think he wants us to always be ready with the hope that we have within us. He's been hanging out with these disciples for a long time, teaching them, they've been watching, and he's been empowering them, and finally he commissions them to go and do it. And they are ready to share the hope within them. You guys, it's also up to us to know your story and to know how God has worked in you. We are students of Jesus Christ. Pay attention. Because I, some of my stories, some of you when I say fishing, you go to sleep. Oh, another fishing story. <laughs> but you need somebody else's story. You need somebody else, and we all have different stories, how God has come into our lives. And how we can actually share that with others. And he's commissioning us and giving us authority to go out and share this good news with others. So there's this whole, be ready. And I think there's a principle here also to travel light. And what I mean by that is, remember good old Shirley, she hasn't been in here for a while. Uh, she's been battling some stuff. But Shirley was my secretary for years. And uh, she, one time she said something to me about humming and hawing about buying a new couch. I'm going like, if you need a new couch, buy a couch. But for her, it was actually more than that. It was, she didn't want to get tied down with new fancy stuff just in case the good Lord would send her off somewhere or send her or commission her to go be a missionary somewhere. Did you hear that? You know, like, who thinks like that? But how cool is that? That she was just considered before grabbing stuff, 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 more, more, more. She thought about it. Because what if the good Lord wants to move me on and here I got all this junk after that big garage sale, you know? Travel light. Here, in the first portion of Scripture, he actually gets them to stay in one place. And I'm not sure. It could be an encouragement to get to know the community. It could be an encouragement to get to know the locals. But somehow they had to learn to rely on God as the provider this first journey. And they had to exercise faith. You guys, even today, I know some of you are thinking about the whole coronavirus thing, and some of you do have fearful thoughts. Well, let me tell you, you know, I've even had a kid that was sick the other day. I'm going like, uh, you know, because it's reality. Like this kind of stuff plays on our minds. But we're also called not to fear. And let me tell you, here's a little secret is so often this happens in my life. So often I fear I have something that might happen. I might be waiting for test results. So for the next week, I live in fear and I don't really live life to the fullest. So now, even if something bad comes to me in two weeks, this last two weeks, I live full of fear and I haven't really milked life because I'm ah, what's going to happen? Live today. Live today. Learn to rely on God. He's commissioned, they've been commissioned by Jesus. They've been empowered by Jesus. He provided for them. And then he, we see the subjects or we see the people, the characters in the story. We have the disciples. We have the hospitables. That's not even a word, but move on. And we also have the recipients, right, in this story. And all of them are responding in some way to Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ. But the big point in Luke is to understand that all this authority to cast out demons, uh, to heal, this is all derived from God, and therefore, we're actually stewards of it. Did you get that? So if you have a gifting, 
or you have some kind of need that God has given you, you are not the owner of that gift. You're a steward of that gift. It's God's. And he lends it to us for a while, kind of like our kids. We're stewards of it. So we are not the author of the gifts that we've been given. So we should also not try and manipulate by using our gifts. A good commentator, Bach, he says, the miracles that Jesus has done, the miracles are the audio-visual of God's power at work in the announcement of the kingdom's arrival. The miracles are the audio-visual of God's power at work in the announcement of the kingdom's arrival. They were sent to proclaim who Jesus is, and then we see Herod's reaction, and we see other people's reactions, and we're also left wondering about Theophilus' reaction. Remember, he's the guy that's weighing, thinking about, tell me more about this, Jesus. I want to make a good decision here. So Luke has all this in his head as he's writing, but we would be mistaken if we don't pause here and think about this. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's easy to look at Herod and the community and the disciples, but how about you? Do you know who you are in Christ? Is your identity found in Christ? Are you hanging out with Jesus Christ? So that when people actually ask, what is it? Why is your marriage working? Or how did you make it through that sad time? Well, you know, there's all sorts of questions. People give you cues every day. I guarantee you that people give you cues every day that life isn't going so good. Every day, all of us get cues. And sometimes we're not ready to share the hope within us because we're not paying attention. So, how has Jesus revealed his character to you? And are you living it out in your community? Are you living it out in your community? Who Jesus is has been a major concern of Luke's right from the get-go. Because you remember, he's a sharp writer and he's taken account so that he can present who Jesus is to Theophilus again. So throughout the gospel here, and throughout the gospel of Luke, people are asking, who is this? Who is this that calms the water? Who is this that heals? Who is this that thinks he's Lord of the Sabbath, of the religion? Who is this? And we also have Herod, who scratches his head and says, who is this? Who is this another person I have to kill to keep my kingdom? So from the beginning, we have seen Luke share. From beginning, we have seen Luke share. So here we're going to have to move fast. We see that Luke has shared who Jesus is by actually sharing the account of his holy birth. How an angel visited Mary and Joseph, and we see the virgin birth. And he also confirms this by actually visiting Zechariah, who's an old man who they haven't been able to have kids, and it was a big deal back then. But somehow his wife gets pregnant, and he almost laughs at it. So God says, okay, because you don't have faith, you're not going to be able to talk for the next few months. So he comes out of the church, and he can't say anything. And finally they have a baby, and then when they want to call him something other than John, he, he finally says, mm, 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 and he says his name, Will be John the Baptist and his lips are loosened and we see the power of God at work there and it ends up that that's his cousin John the Baptist goes and he lives an interesting life but he's the forerunner of Jesus helping people understand that the Messiah is coming the Savior is coming God has sent a gift to us so that we can connect back with God once again who do you say that I am 
We have angels ascending and descending. We have people coming from all around the world to visit the baby Jesus. We have Anna and Simeon who have been hanging out in church or the temple for a long time and Joseph and Mary come in with the baby Jesus and then all of a sudden Simeon goes, oh, now that I've held him in my arms, my life can come to an end because he was dying and he'd been promised that there would be a consolation, a savior for Israel and here all of a sudden he's holding Jesus and he knew that's it, I'm ready to die. And Anna's kind of the same way. She's an old lady that's been hanging out in the temple and she goes, oh, this is it. This is amazing. I'll tell you. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Then, Jesus went up to the temple and was separated from his parents. So they all went kind of like this Mecca over to the temple and then everybody goes back and there's this huge crowd and finally Joseph and Mary go, where's Jesus? And they look with some of their friends and they look with uh, some of their relatives and other people. They can't find Jesus anywhere. Great. They only have one kid. I have five. Nonetheless, so here, they go all the way back to the city, and then they finally find Jesus sitting in the temple, and he's teaching and listening and stuff like that. He says, son, we were so worried. What were you, what were you doing? And Jesus kind of goes like, well, why were you worried? I'm just doing my father's business. So again, we're being reminded, who is Jesus? He's the son of God. He's the son of God. Then we see Jesus being baptized by the forerunner John the Baptist. And as he goes into the water and he's coming out, something like a dove comes and, and sits upon Jesus. And that is, a, is, is a, um, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden this voice in heaven saying, this is my son, my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Who is this? Then he's taken out by the Holy Spirit into the, t into the wilderness and he hasn't eaten or drank for 40 days. So I'm guessing he's not all that strong in his strength. And I'm guessing he might even be a little on the hungry side. And there the devil just gets him, tries to tempt him with a shortcut. I'll tell you what, if you just bow down to me, nobody's around, you bow down to me, I'll give you all these people. I won't mess with people's minds and hearts anymore. Just bow down to me. And another time he says, you must be hungry, Jesus, huh? How about you take that rock, because I know you've done some cool miracles, change that rock into bread, and then you won't be hungry. Our little secret, he says, hey, you know that scripture says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now he says, see the high, temp of the, uh, high, high peak of the temple? Why don't you jump down from there, okay? You jump down from there, and then the, I think it's the Old Testament that says that he will charge his angels to catch you. And Jesus is listening to the devil twist scripture. And he's twisting scripture and Jesus actually brings scripture back into context and telling him stuff that thou shalt not tempt, the, you know. And he goes on using scripture in a healthy way and rebukes the devil and he gets out of there. Who is this? Who do you say that I am? Then he calls the disciples, 12 men. He heals a man with deadly leprosy. He raises a paralyzed man. He forgives his sins. Who does that? He stops to eat with a bunch of sinners and collectors, tax collectors. He shows that he's king of the Sabbath, king of a religion. He's showing that relationship trumps religion. He teaches about the upside-down kingdom and blows people out of the water explaining kingdom values. We know that we live here on earth and pretty much if you hit me, I'll hit you back. But here he says that if somebody slaps you because of your faith, turn the other cheek too. If somebody comes as a big bully and says, hey, give me that bag of candy, well, give me your other bag too. And he's, people are going, what? This is the Beatitudes. And he's giving kingdom principles here on earth. 
how we should live differently. How we should live differently. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He gets anointed by a sinful woman of reputation. Everybody knew. Everybody knew who she was. And he forgives more people of their sins. He teaches with incredible power, grace, and potency. Who do you say that I am? Verses 10 to 17. I almost missed something here. I'm sure you guys have never missed it, but I was just like, whoa. We like to look at our Bible, and we think that sometimes the headings or the verses are God-inspired. But those were put there for, for us. Like, Scripture wasn't written with lovely little bolds and all that stuff. It was written. And then people came along and put the numbers in there so we can actually find. Because just imagine if we're reading the Bible and there is no verses, no chapters and stuff like that. That would be the longest Bible study in the world. Like, somewhere around here. No, about this thick end. About this thick end. Okay, yeah, you're getting close. Keep going, you know? Oh, that would take forever. But here... Uh, we sometimes look at chapter 9 and we end at verse 9. But listen to that. It, it was, but Herod in verse 9 said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear so many things about? And he tried to save him, period. Heading verse 10, though, this is amazing for me. When the apostles returned, where did they return from? They're commissioning, right? They went out and about with nothing and they were in people's houses and showing people, telling people, doing really cool stuff pointing toward Jesus Christ. Well, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. That to me is a huge deal. I'll say in just a bit. And then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves. But then a whole crowd came and then he pulls off that incredible miracle of, of feeding people. So what's really important to me here is I think verse 10 really shows again in a discipleship model is that when he disciples us, just like he's doing with the, the apostles here, he's actually getting them to come back and debrief. So they've been doing all this cool stuff. They have all these stories. They have good stories, bad stories. They have all sorts of experience. They come back to Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the one that commissioned them and sent them out. And now they get to debrief. And I bet you there's laughs. I bet you there's all sorts of stories that bring a tear to the eye. I bet you there's times where there's, I can't believe the guy was this close to believing. All sorts of cool stories. But they're debriefing with the master. Question, what would happen if we would treat our devotional times a little bit more? Our, by devotional times, I mean what would happen if we uh, treated our times where we actually set aside time with God and we treated it more like a debriefing? Talk about your day. But a debriefing, you know, you don't just talk about your day. You listen for feedback. What would happen? And I was just thinking about that. Like, if I would, because the Lord loves it when you come and, and speak to him. But some of the times I just speak and then hit, hit the road. But what if I would speak and then just listen for affirmation? Listen for some coaching? Perhaps I would get some grace or sometimes there'd be an admonition where I go, yeah, I dropped the ball or what I said there was kind of stupid. I, I, I got emotionally involved there. Sorry, Lord. You know what I'm saying? So imagine if we would actually take time to shh and debrief our day with the Lord. And that's, I think, what he's doing here. He's debriefing 
and they're getting to know him more and more how things work. He has shown them and then spent quality time with them. And we know that quality time comes out of quantity time. Quality time comes out of quantity time. He has spent a lot of time with these guys. Now he sends them out to do what they have heard, what they have seen, and what they've been a part of. And now they come back and they have time to chat about it. They have opportunities to rehash their experiences. And then if you'd think it would stop there, but then all of a sudden there's this divine interruption. All these people want to hear and see Jesus. So now all of a sudden they got to go back to work and the discipleship continues on because now they turn their eyes to the word, these 5,000, 10,000 people, whatever it was. And Jesus cares for their spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. So the discipleship keeps on going, you guys. It's a constant walk. It's not just like, there, I read my Bible this year, I'm done. I'm a Christian, boom. And it's just like, wait a second, he actually wants to be a part of your life. Every aspect of your life. He's really calling us to be ambassadors. Ambassador would be somebody that's sent with power from another country to a different country, and kind of is the face of the prime minister or the president. And that's kind of what he's doing with us. He's commissioning us. He's empowering us to go with this good news and to represent him. Think about that for a second. So you represent Jesus. That's cool, but it's also kind of freaky, isn't it? Because when you get road rage, or when somebody rips you off, or you're having a really grumpy day, I would just like to take that little Christian label off of me for a second and give somebody a backhand and then put the Christian label back on. You know what I'm saying? But I'm, I'm really, please don't hear me saying that he's calling us to a um, facade, a um, pretend that you're, everything's good. Because I think, you guys, we often forget that discipleship is life. And we're with Jesus through thick and thin, through the hard times, through the disappointing times, through the struggles in your marriage, through a rebellious kid, through the happy times, enthusiastic times, through the party times. But he wants us to be a part of discipleship in the whole thing. And then when that happens, we share our lives with other people. It's not about you just walking out, knock, 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 and share about a Bible verse you just read about. It's share your life with other people. And then from there, conversations begin and people get to see that this Jesus thing is real in your life and you get to share it. Well, I'll conclude with this. This is going to kind of date me. Some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about now. An author shared this. When I was a boy, he used to watch the show The Lone Ranger. Huh? You men the mountain? He used to watch the Lone Ranger. At the end of every episode, after the Lone Ranger had saved the victims from some horrible villain, he would mount his horse. His horse's name was? Silver. Silver. <laughs> the rescued victim would ask Tonto, and Tonto was always in the scene. I don't know how that happened, but Tonto was always there. He managed to be in the scene standing nearby, and the victim would ask, who was that masked man? And Tonto would reply, Don't you know? That's the Lone Ranger. And Silver would stand up on the hind legs again. And the Lone Ranger would wave and cry, Hi-ho! Silver, away! 
to the tune of William Tell Overture. And then he would ride off until next week. But isn't it interesting? Because we kind of get to do that. Jesus is at work. God is at work. There's things happening. And we get to be kind of like Tonto. You don't know who that is? Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about him. And that's kind of what he's commissioning us to do. Because you have experienced God. You have experienced forgiveness of sins through a relationship in Jesus Christ. You have walked with Jesus. You've gone through crummy times and he's pulled you out. You have gone through times that nobody wants to go through. But you know you have not been alone. You've been times that fear has come into your life and you've now trumped it with faith because of who God is and who you are in God. And you get to go, when people ask you, what was going on there? Or how did you do it? You don't know who this is? Let me tell you who this is. Right? So your stories actually point toward the story maker, the storyteller. And that's what he's commissioning his apostles and disciples to do. And that's what he's saying to us too. So it's a big deal to know who is this? Who is Jesus? Because how you answer that question has everything to do with how you approach your neighbors, how you approach your marriages, how you approach your kiddos, how you approach people all around us. Who is Jesus? And hopefully all of us can be like Tonto. You don't know who he is? Well, let me tell you. Father, I thank you for uh, what you're doing in our lives. And I, I thank you for the invitation for uh, us to come into your presence and to realize what we are created for. We were created to connect with you, God, and then to live a life of growth with you and to share that with others. So whatever we do for a living, I just pray that you continue, Lord, to meet us there and uh, help us to walk in faith of what you've done for us, that you died on the cross for our sins and you gave us new life. And it's that new life, Lord, that we want to walk in and just ask that each one of us, wherever we are on our journey, that we'd be able to be like Tonto and just go, oh, let me tell you what I know about him. So you got to wonder, when Luke wrote this, how the disciples came back and debriefed, I would love to have been in that room. Or how Theophilus read this account and go, wow, this is incredible what Jesus has done. But then we also have the Herods that go, I don't care what he's done, I want nothing to do with him. So I pray, Lord, that we'd be like Tonto. We'd be able to say, oh, no, no, no. I know him. And let me tell you about him. Empower my friends to do that this week. In the name of Jesus, amen. I leave you with a very short benediction or a blessing from Acts. Just simply, you have received power. Now go and be my disciples. Amen. Amen.